1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You're listening to The Calling. Joining me today is Casey West. Casey, thank you for, for coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. All right. So I'll tell you what, uh, just to help everyone who's listening uh, know who you are, what, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, well, my name's Casey. Again, as you know, I uh, moved down here at a very young age from New York City. Uh, I went from high school to high school. Uh, I ended up graduating from uh, Allegheny High School, uh, class of 04 with Derek. Went on from there to uh, do a little bit of college. I uh, joined the military. I'm a military man, uh, strong background with family and everything like that. Presently a fireman at District 16, and I am a uh, medical marijuana farmer out of uh, Grow West. Uh, pretty much uh, the cliff notes right there. The cliff notes of Casey West. I like it. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, man, what was it like? You said you bounced around from school to school. You traveled. Right. You went from New York City down to Western Maryland. I mean, Absolutely. That's a cultural shock in itself. But so, is it ever. So what was it like for you growing up? Okay. Uh, life was, uh, it was good. Uh, actually, I tell the story often. New York City was great, very diverse. You don't know until you get a lot older, uh, like the city slicker lifestyle of it all, uh, small minds versus big minds and whatnot until you move to a small uh, town with the population of 22,000, uh, like Frostburg and Cumberland and that, and that whole uh, area of Allegheny County. Um, great people, uh, good education. I got my education down here. I won't knock it. I, uh, I've learned a lot of great things. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, going from a big city to a small town, um, very humbling experience. Uh, I have a strong family again, like I said. They showed me the ropes, they told me how it was going to be moving down here, so it wasn't like I was blinded by it. I did get a heads up, and I met a lot of great people uh, along the way. Like, really, I really did, so it's been cool. 
Well, one of my first memories of our interactions together came in ninth grade. And I don't, I don't know if you remember this. I remember everything about the ninth grade with you, man. <laughs> well, we were sitting in, in, in Mr. Eric's political science class. Yeah. I looked over at you and I said, man, it sucks that we're the only two black kids. <laughs> and you looked at me and you go, I'm not black. I'm Japanese. I remember. Oh, I was like, oh, snap. You know, so we were transracial before that was really a thing. So and just that, make sure. that is so true. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> We, we did that all year. We definitely yeah, did. All year. You know, and, and I'm sure, you know, given the right circumstances, we would still identify as those as those two <laughs> racial <laughs> Oh, in the right circumstances. So, um, you know, so, yeah. and, and the cool thing about this, though, is, is that we're able to laugh at it. Uh, right. You know, especially now in, a, in a, such a sensitive culture where, you know, me as a white person jokingly identifying as a black person Right. So taken out of context and mislabeled and, and vice versa. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Casey, you moved from New York City down to Western Maryland. How old were you when that transition occurred? Five. Okay. So you started, you pretty well started grade school here in Western Maryland. Yeah. I imagine, and this is just recall from my elementary school days, you were probably the only kid of color in your elementary school classroom. I was. Yeah. So yeah. walk me through how, how, how was that for you? Uh, it was cool. I was still like culture shocked with, you know, you never seen so many white kids in your life. You never seen so many mountains. I guess I kind of missed the innocence of it because if, if people were being mean, you didn't, you didn't know it. Adults were, were definitely mean. There was a, there was one uh, occurrence where I was told that I was not allowed to play with someone's kids because I was black. I mean, the dude was so proud to, to say it, like that's what he stood for. I, uh, I used to go and tell my parents that uh, I was different. I got upset and I didn't know it. I didn't know it was because I was like African-American. I would just say, I'm different. And I would, I remember crying to my mom about that. My dad was furious and I think he went after that guy. I think that's something we take for granted is that that childhood innocence and the difference that it is. You know, yeah. I've never walked into a classroom where I was the only white person until I got to college. From kindergarten through 12th grade, everyone, although they didn't look exactly like me, resembled me in some form of comp- or comparison. Oh, yeah, of course. So as the years went on, you recognize, that, hey, you know, all right, my skin color is a little different. And you progress into middle school. And as we were talking earlier, you, you referenced this time, middle school kids are just mean in general. I mean, we were we were all itching to practice name calling and it kind of tests the waters on this progression in life. That's very well put. Absolutely. That's that's every bit of what it was. Everybody had to be cool. Whatever can, was considered cool then, it was at an all time high demand. And uh, if racism was cool but at a time, it was. And people were on that bandwagon, especially small towns. So I'm going, I'm getting my education down here. And every summer, 
literally every summer I would leave Maryland and I would go stay in New York from from the time school ended till it was time to go back to school. And I did that all the way up and oh my. I guess until I graduated. I would come back. Remember we had football practice. When would that start? Right. August. Yeah, early so August. I would always have to be back by August. I'd be all out of shape from eating cows and onions and pizzas and that was the worst. <laughs> but sure. it, it, there was never any, ra- you know, there was no racism or anything like that in New York, uh, especially where I was at uh, Rosedale, Queens, uh, Harlem. You know, it was it was nothing like that. Everybody was so cool and legit. And you never seen many issues, if any, with that. And then yeah. you come down to Maryland and then like the, the jokes are totally different. And now we're talking, you know, about race. So, I mean, this has been going on long before me. You know, uh, my mom always said, uh, the game ain't changed, only the players, and that's you know with with anything and everything. And uh, what she's saying is, it's it was the same thing back then, you know, when I was in school, Casey. And when we moved down here, they would give me a heads up and say that this, you know, they told me this stuff would happen. They was like, you know, Casey, if anybody uh, puts their hands on you or calls you the N word, you hit them back, and we will deal with the consequences. And I was, you know, good to know because, you know, I'm definitely picking up on like a lot of stuff. And I think it was the sixth grade was the first time someone directly called it to my face, man. And I really let him have it. But uh, it was upsetting because I was like, I'm why am I so, I can't help it. You know, I had no say in the matter when I was born. None right. of us, you know, I, there was no line before the birth canal. I was like, whoa, 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 before you go out there, you better pick black, white or Asian or anything like right. that, you know. No. And um, and even if there was there, I think I think African American every time. You know, I, I right. Well, me, you brought up an interesting point. So whenever you were receiving this family advice about being called the N word, yeah, did they did they explain to you why? So yes, because I was black and where I came from, I come from like a strong and proud family. You know, uh, even though we were all born, myself, uh, my my parents, my grandparents were born in New York. My great grandmother was born in South Boston, Virginia, and it really went down down there, you know. I mean that's practically miles, if not, where the first original slave ships came from. And she's got some stories about what it was like down there. And they're pretty awful stories. What happened to like her brothers and stuff. She's the youngest out of five uh boys. And that alone, you know, I'm not gonna tolerate any nonsense of you calling me out my name. Um but and then, you know, then learning like the black history month of it all and the heritage and what that word represents where it comes from i mean it's ugly it's the ugliest word in the english dictionary man and uh just to see uh that there was a whole southern part of the country that fought for slavery because you know we were we were just nothing you know we weren't even human we were monkeys we were we were i mean just everything that you can imagine that was filth uh it was wild just just wild so no you you can't yeah i was told you know pretty much that in a sense and the the reason i ask is because i i was in a conversation not too long ago and and it was the gentleman was recalling his childhood now he's significantly older than us and it was told to him that if anyone calls you the n-word you punch him now totally totally yeah he and then he recalled getting into a fight in school and then they asked why that word was so offensive to him. And he, he really wasn't sure. I mean, he knew that it, it was hatred in some form. He didn't really understand as a child why that word was so offensive. 
right you know and, and as you just shared some of the history of it i think for us you know living in 2021 you know it's important to have an appreciation for how far we've come from the dark and dirty days of of this country's you know establishment yeah and we've and come a long way we've come a long right. and specific to that word i remember uh coaching a church league team young adolescent boys uh, most of them were for young black men and in my car we were all going home and they were they had dropped the r in the word and added an a and they were calling us back and forth to one another and they just asked them i said what wait a minute why are you using this particular word and when i said it out loud they all got silent there's that unwritten rule listen man because the history of this particular word and hatred that is defined within it don't say it and, and I'm saying, yeah and i remember clear as day and and kevin jordan if he's listening shout out to you man mad respect he looked over at me and he said coach please don't say that word right and right I, on. I, I i'm just asking because it's being used so often in this car and he said coach right. never heard me say that word and you never will please right. don't say it i said all right man and 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 i didn't and i think the point of me bringing all this up is because there there's important history and context to keep in mind when we're dealing on this particular topic and when we're interacting with one another yeah um, something on both sides of the fence that we need to come to terms and re- recognize that the word is used in hate it is hateful and just because some people use it and, and a friendship capacity or however they want to use it doesn't mean it, it's a word we should be using. And yeah, you're, you're right. You can't just go around saying the F word. This is where I come with it. Uh, when you talk uh, about the E, the E-R and the A, it's my one of my biggest pet peeves because like like I said, I'm from a, I'm from a city and they get it. There's street smarts, there's everything. And you, you don't BS or BS or, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I know what you're talking about whenever you, when you say the A and you're like, oh, I said it with a, with a A and not an E-R. And it's like, buddy, tomato tomato it's the same thing we're talking about a tomato and parents tell their kids this and it's the stupidest thing you ever heard you're like it's just ignorant it's all the same thing era i asked the dude you know uh i said it in an accent he passed me a bottle of water he get he picked up a bottle of water and i said i didn't ask for water ask for water and he was like i see what you mean now and i was like thank you and he stopped and um an even better story derek was man so like like I said, it needs to be cool. Um, I'm in basic training at this point. I'm 19 years old, and um, it was a good day. <laughs> it was actually a good day in basic training, which we didn't have many. Uh, I I guess I I said it. I definitely said it. I called someone that like we were just you know BSing back and forth, and I called him that. And this this dude and God love him to this day. I was checking out this dude. He's an amazing man. Uh, taught me how to be a man. His name was uh, uh, Ricardo Ranger. His name was Drill Sergeant Ranger back in the day out of Colorado. Uh, Ivy League Division, but we were in um, Fortland Wood, Missouri. He was one of my drill sergeants. And he, he called me over. He said, Wes, come here. I, went, I walked up to him. I got parade rest. He was about six foot five, six four. It's scary. You know, drill sergeants, if anyone's ever seen one, the brims cover up the eyeballs so you can't see him. And he just had me do push-ups until, I mean, the wall sweat and flutter kicks and sit-ups and jumping jacks and more push-ups. And I had to do this. And he's not telling me why I'm doing this. I mean, he's got me doing this, Derek, follow up maybe like an hour and 45 minutes. 
not saying a word and I'm sweating and then he makes me get to parade rest again and he goes Wes if one of them white kids would have said the n-word you would have been the first one to jump down their throat they can't say it you can't say it we're all one team and I tell you what bud (laughs) from that day forth you got it man I mean schooled me (laughs) yeah so that, that drives home the point that I'm trying to make here is that so often the argument is, oh, well, they say this or they say this to kind of justify a particular stance when oh, in yeah. reality, it, it doesn't matter who's saying what when you know what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong. Absolutely, Derek. Absolutely. Well, they say it all the time. You know, one person, I was like, man, if you want to say it so bad, go ahead and say it. Just know that you're a grown man and you're going to handle the consequences and repercussions as such. If you're going to say right. it, you're a grown man, you're American, hey man, you have the freedom of speech, but just know that there's a haymaker coming right after that because some people right. don't want to tolerate that. And if unless you were someone of race that had to prove your race is just as equal as any other man's, then you can't, you probably shouldn't say that word. Like, just put right. it that way. Yeah. yeah. If you had to prove your equality to be a human being and a man in America, yeah, and, they, and those are the ones who say it you know yeah. that, that's everyone who says it yeah. but if you're white and you're trying to go around telling people well you know I said it with an A so why don't you calm down <laughs> yeah wow and Western Maryland is, as far as being predominantly white uh, and having the handful of, who are racist and are right. open about it, you know super proud very, yeah very proud of it but there's a stronger and a larger community who doesn't view it that way that and my experience right now with western maryland specifically is that there's three types of uh white people okay type one is the very open-minded like yeah okay everybody's one person no big deal there's races out there and type two is the, the radicals you know the ones who are waving their confederate flags yeah. they're not you know and they they just they they don't often speak hate, but we know what they stand for. Right, right. And so that third group is kind of getting angry just at racism talks. They don't view themselves as racist, but they think that they're being called racist because they're white. I can see that, yeah. You know, and they start becoming resentful, and they start looking at the negatives of each cultural group type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I bring that up because about two years ago, I had had a conversation with elderly black man and I had asked him, I said, how have you seen a transition through, through the years? I mean, how is racial diversity different now than it was as a child for you growing up? And he looked at me and goes, well, Derek, the first thing that I need to make clear right now is although people get up in arms and are still ignorant people out there, the fact that you came to my house you as a white man are sitting in my living room and asking me for my thoughts tells you how far we've come (laughs) absolutely not but we've come a long way now i bring that up because i think sometimes we we hang on to the ugly history and we forget all the positive good things i mean look at our relationship man yeah you know in the 1950s you and i most likely weren't going to become friends but if you saw me drinking from a water fountain that you drank from, it was on. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about your faith. You had shared with me before that, you know, you, you believe in Jesus. I do. You had shared with me that, you know, you had experienced uh, a dedication as an infant. Your mom had to dedicate it early. Yes. You went through a confirmation type of baptism as an early teenager. Yes. And then you went through your own as a man decided to give your life to Christ. Right. So that was the big one. Yeah. Tell me about the years that led up to Casey West deciding I'm dedicating my life to Jesus. Like I said, uh, even after high school, I'd always keep going back up to New York. I spent a great deal of my life in, in New York City, uh, staying with friends, um, staying with family, uh, just going, r- r- ripping and running through the city, you know, uh, and I, I loved it. So once you get once in New York, you meet people in New York and those people. Now I'm not just going to New York City. I'm going to California. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to Florida. Uh, now, and now I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Amsterdam. Now I'm backpacking through Europe. I had, you know, amazing, wonderful, wild times. But, you know, with you know, certain, certain, you know, groups of friends, you're more, are more wilder than the other. So I got into, you know, you go to wild parties, you meet wild people, you get into, you know, I've never been arrested or anything like that. But, you know, I definitely should have been arrested for a lot of things. And I, um, yeah, it, it, it came, you know, everything hits rock bottom at certain points of your life. I'm not talking about drugs. I'm just talking about, like, the fast life catches up to you, man, uh, women and whatnot. It's it's so fast. Like, it's, I don't, some people can't even stop it, you know. Yeah, so I decided to give my life uh, to God. I, I owed him that. And I also prayed to him. And everything goes well in my life which it is and i always pray for my family and my friends those are my my two big key ones is praying for my family and friends and you know i want them to be safe always and take care of the things that are out of my hands and that's what a lot of people hang on it's a huge anxiety uh to worry about things that are out of their control god will never give you more than you can handle and that's why my favorite verse is joshua 1 9 i will not be terrified nor discouraged because God is with me everywhere I go and I have the strongest faith and belief in that I've known that when I went overseas and back and every time I've traveled around the world and life has been good because of that and that's my close relation with God it's, it's it gets much much deeper than that but of course we don't have enough time for all that but I have definitely uh, a lot of testimonies that I can say that I'm very strong in my faith and regardless of what people think or believe I pray Every night before I go to bed, I pray before every meal. Just because you don't see me doing doesn't mean I'm not doing it. I am very strong within my faith. So it makes me a non-judgmental person. Christians are really known for that, you know, being the, the most judgmental. And it's like a lot of stress that I just don't have and a lot of wear and tear that I don't have on my body. And I just save it for love, you know, love and compassion for my fellow man. And they, that's why I have all the faith in my country because I love this country and I know we're better than this and I know we've come a long way like you said and we're just headed in the right direction I just hope I live to see a lot and I'm, you know, I, I could call myself and favor myself the renaissance man I'm, I'm so looking forward to seeing the future and what, when it comes to us getting over this and everything that's been going on that's been turmoil and wrong with our country like we're headed in the right direction I still believe that and that's you know, people that share the same faith as me, I believe. So you gotta, you gotta be happy about that. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and previous conversations you and I have had, you know, we've I've referenced the church's responsibility and and how well 
there's times where they've interjected and they've been very positive and mm-hmm. helping us move forward but then there's times where they're not and oh, they yeah. manipulate scripture and i think that's where we get a lot of the judgmental characteristics that that christians are often you know stereotyped with super bad man yeah and so let me ask you yeah, so you got baptized you know you realize hey life needs to slow down right so you, you get baptized who were some of the people that led you to christ initially my family it was it wasn't like friends or anything like that it was definitely my family my uh family they they brought me up through christ you know but i was you know young and dumb i wanted to live my life first and uh, i definitely did that and it got to the point where it you you realize you need christ like oh my i know people say that all the time as a joke but a lot of the time that it comes from being really serious like dude you need christ (laughs) not that i was not yeah you need jesus not that i was evil but you know you need to tone it down a bit so it was my family my mom uh definitely my mom my grandma but more so than anyone it was my great grandmother who showed us all like she she was the like the biggest one in our family like who held us together she prayed all the time 24 7 she was always in the word she she was just the greatest woman in the world and i try to i portray it the way that she portrays it like i live my life vicariously through the way she she was in her relationship with the lord um just how she was so open to everyone like she never had an enemy she loved everyone you know and i'm i'm rocking it like that you know the older i get i want to be just like my great-grandmother in that aspect well you're a father you have you have four children absolutely you know, a lot of research that i've been studying and the project that i'm working on has really shown us the value and the importance of a father and the child's spiritual development you know we already know dad's important in the family right right, right. no but what we don't give enough credit to is dad's importance and children coming to jesus right you know I, I don't know about you. I know I know how I was growing up and realizing when I when I came to Jesus, like, hey, I have a daughter, and I recognize that if if my daughter were to date or marry a man like me, would I be okay with that? And initially, I was like, no, <laughs> no, and that bothered me. And I thought to myself, why not? And I, and it wasn't until I really started to dedicate my life to Jesus and start changing my ways through the Scripture that I recognized all the things that I was doing wrong right i don't mean wrong like shame on you just things that don't align you know it's one thing for us to say i believe in jesus and i pray the second and most important part after you accept jesus in is then following the word right and that's something that we we all strive to do and and one of the messages on the calling that i'm trying to make sure is is consistent and across the board you know so often the church makes it sound as if the scripture is a, to for us to take and to apply to other people. Yeah, you know, force feeding the Bible, as you stated. The approach and, and how it's been revealed to me is scripture is to be self-absorbed. Like it is something that you read and apply to yourself. To yourself, yes, exactly. So you can't it, put it on other people, right? So then, when you conform, when it when it takes control and you start to adapt the behaviors and the, and the mindset of Christ described in the Bible that's your testimony you know people will see that and then that's when the contagiousness starts that's when the seeds are planted so to speak and and you start to see crops grow because of how you apply it to your own life exactly 
And I think, you know, as, as a father, once you start doing that and that you are doing that, not, not to say that you aren't, Casey, you know, your children are, will, will observe that. You're not going to necessarily see it at 12 and 13. Yeah. You know, but at 19, 20, when it starts to come for life decisions, when they start try- testing the waters of freedom, you know, mm-hmm. that's when you'll see some of the stuff start to start to through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Same thing happened to me, man. Yeah. I man, I was about mid, I was early 20s. Yeah. And I just got super into it. I started reading the Bible, like not just reading it, but reading it, you know, okay, what's, what's going on? You know, what is, right. what's everybody talking about? Now I got to know. As we transition into the next gear, you know, you had shared your ground, your great grandma was a, an inspiration, you know, a, a, a pillar of your family. Yeah, oh yeah. And she had passed during COVID, correct? Yes. Yes, she did. Yeah. So aside, I mean, that, that had to be a devastating loss for the family. It was know? such a bummer, man. It was because she was so strong and so strong spirited and, you know, everything was going so good. She could run around. She could dance, you know, she could swim yeah. forward and play with her kids, and, with her grandkids and stuff like that. Um, it, was, it was such a great time. I, I thought she was in a nursing home. You know, she came back and forth to our house, my, my mom's house and my grandmother's house and and we would always go go visit her until COVID hit and they shut down the, the nursing homes, man. And like they had them all locked in there. And I guess that I'm learning, you know, I'm learning just like everybody else is learning. I guess you can't place no blame because, you know, no one knew what to do. No one knew how to handle it. Nobody even really knew how to contain it. It was this was the first time anybody in the world has seen anything like this in our lifetime. This was ours, you know, and we, we just there was no plan so i don't know whatever plan that they had was bad and she got sick within like two weeks of covid hitting america man and just deteriorated and just would just withered away to cinders and it was terrible it was so sad to see her go out like that and we sent her off like a queen what our funeral was it was an amazing funeral but she would have lived easily. I'm not kidding, bro. She would have easily lived to like 98, 100 years old. Right. She was, she, was on her, she was on her way. You could tell. It's amazing to know that such a woman of faith had done so well and, and to, to have that type of send off and to be now with her Lord and Savior Jesus. Yeah. 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 You know, instead of dealing, you know, with the continued issues that, that are presented kind of revisit some things we've talked about so we've covered a lot today we've, we've talked about uh, your experiences uh growing up in a, in a predominantly white area as a, mm-hmm. as a young black child growing up into a young a young man uh, we talked about your faith and and what it meant to you growing up and how you came to christ in your early 20s so let me ask you this question casey how would you casey west cure american racism um let's get let's get i'm going to call them white america it's let's dig deep to the small towns and and get out there and talk to someone with with that's another race or color eat their food come to their homes listen to each other's music have a conversation let's just take care of yourself Uh, you know Bill Belichick always told everybody on the Patriots, just do your job. Don't worry about the guy next to you to the right. You do your job. If everybody does their job, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Can't yeah. argue with that. 
No, you can't. Man, you can't argue with that, man. Stop. What? It, you know how much energy it takes to hate someone, especially over something that you don't even understand. I think, I think for us, you know, it starts with with you and me, and and people just like us having conversations, um, and being able to share ideas, and whether we disagree or not is irrelevant. It's the ability to maintain civil, you know, communication. Absolutely. You know. And, and this topic has been on my mind for, for years. I am, I am fascinated by human behavior and particularly racial indifferences and how each individual race and the stereotypes and prejudice within their own and how they view other folks. What has come to mind is as Christians, we're taught to extend forgiveness and grace right. to our enemies. So on this particular topic, this would be to those who hate you know, white people who hate black people, black people who hate white people for hating black people. Right. You know, that type of thing. And I think for, for perspective, Jesus has always given us the example to live by. And in Luke chapter 23, he states as he's dying. Now, keep in mind, he's dying here as he's been tortured and murdered. Right. He out and says, Father, forgive them for they do they not know, know what, what they, they do. do. They don't know what they do. There's ignorant to the fact that they have no idea yeah so jesus and his and, and his as he's dying calls for forgiveness for the very men that are tor- torturing him you know and i think we can learn a lot from that grace that's big and you, had, and you had pointed out something uh to love each other and that's that's another topic that has been on my mind a lot lately uh and something that i've had to apply to myself because although i i don't view that i hate anyone you know i've recognized that i don't love everyone and what i mean by that is when you when you actually read through the bible it defines what love is in corinthians chapter 13 a lot of times when we read the scripture or the church references this scripture it's talking about spouse love you know love that you have for your future wife right. love that you have for my wife and what we're supposed to do within the marriage i'm not saying it doesn't apply to that but that's not what this chapter tells us. This chapter tells us what we are called to do and, and what love is. And love is patient. It is kind. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. No, no, and you're nailing you know? it. Yeah. You know, and it, it doesn't get easily angered. And I think for us to, to cure, so to speak, the racism issue within America, both sides of the argument need to recognize enough's enough. Enough's I'm enough. done. I'm done trying to justify. I'm done trying to to this. I'm I'm just extending my hand and saying I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. And that's where the church right now needs to realign itself. You know, so often I hear, especially from younger folks, they're they're these progressively new ideas on how to interact with people and to keep this open mind. But if you look at it, it's almost as if they've just quoted scripture and just removed Jesus from the title. <laughs> Yeah, we are all one in Christ. All one in Christ. And and once you accept Jesus, you know, there is no more, you know, African-American, white American. There is no more American. Yeah, we're just, yeah. We are all in Christ. I like it, man. I like it. Before we roll out of here, I do have, I do have a question for you. Hit me. What do you want out of your life? I just want to be there for my family and my friends. I always put them first. Like I said, they're the only ones that I keep praying for. I can take care of myself. 
but I can't take care of them. So I want to, if I, if I could be there for them the best way I can, I'll do that. But I just want to, I want to, I want a, a long life. I want to, I want peace in my, in my country a lot more than it's, than what's already going on. Like we can get better from this. Cause I have to live here. We all got to live here and my kids have to live here. They're going to go to get their educations here. I want this Corona to be over with and it's supposed to be with us for years, but you know, let's hang in there and get through it together and stop, you know, let race or anything that's negative tear down this strong country that we have of ours. I'm a part of this. We're all a part of this, but what I want for myself, it's not much, man. It really isn't. It's the simple, simple things. I'm not asking for a whole lot. Just, I just want to be here. I want to be here for everybody else. Amen. So, Casey, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your life to, to speak with me. I do. I really appreciate you, your perspective. And, and again, just thank you for that. Thank you for having me, man. Anytime. And we could have I mean, we could have dug like way deeper. I'm sure like people who are listening to this uh, or why, uh, why didn't you guys touch on this and why didn't you guys touch on that when yeah, I mean, obviously, we could have went down so many rabbit holes. And I guarantee I, I feel the same way that you all do. Uh, again, I want to thank you for having me on, man. Uh, God bless you. Well, I'll tell you what, with that in mind, for those of you listening at any event, you, you heard something that you, that sparked your interest. Uh, there's something else that you want us to cover on this. Shoot an email to the underscore calling at hotmail.com. Casey, you know, we'll, we'll look to see how everything's going. Before, though, we, we sign off. I, everyone who's asking the, the calling community, I ask that you pray for Casey West. Um, and Casey, for you specifically, man, I want to I want to issue a prayer challenge to you. Okay. To spend time alone in prayer. Now, again, I'm not insinuating that you're not already doing right. This. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. But I want you, I want you to ask God specifically to search your heart, and and to start to look for things that He wants you to do, and to plant a seed there. Okay. I want you to start asking God for direction and guidance. You had shared that what you want out of life right. is to be there for other people. So I want you to start specifically praying for God to, to show that to you and what that looks like. I like that. Okay, absolutely. Uh, a word of caution. When you do this prayer, you need to be committed and serious. Be prepared to equip yourself because once you start to ask God for direction and he starts to move you in your life, you're going to see resistance. Mm-hmm. There's going to be in your life that you're not going to want to give up. There's going to be people in your life that you're you're going to have to talk to. Oh, brother, I understand um, that. Yeah. You know, we, what we haven't referenced on this sh- on this particular conversation is the devil's a presence. And that's something we've referenced in the calling in previous weeks. Uh, so that's why I'm asking the community to pray for you specifically. You accepting this challenge that you go ahead and, and just prepare yourself for God to move in your life. Thank you. God is calling you, Casey. Will you answer?